My great-grandfather's name was Theodore Schwartz. He was from Luxembourg. Theodore Schwartz of Luxembourg. And he lived to be 100 years old. 100. A whole century. And as he got older, as you can imagine, things started to fail, including his hearing. He went to the ear doctor and got these really great hearing aids. They were fancy. They were expensive. They actually connected to his eyeglasses so that there was a knob on his eyeglasses. And when he needed them to be more sensitive, when he needed to hear things better, he would crank that little knob. And as he got older, 95, 96, 97, 98, it got to the point where that knob was cranked all the time. And as we were telling him things that we thought were important about our Little League games or meals that we had had or games that we were playing, and we really wanted Grandpa to know these things, he couldn't make it out. We could see in his eyes he wasn't understanding us. And there were points where that little knob was cranked as high as it could be, and he would finally say, Speak louder. I can't hear you. You have to speak up. I can't make out what you're saying. Speak louder. Now, all of us have been on one side of that situation, haven't we? We're either the person who's being told to speak up or we're the person who is asking others to speak up. And the reason is because over time our bodies break down. And this is on video, and so I can't hear you, but I'm sure there's at least a few of you who are saying amen right about now. Our bodies just break down over time, and whether it's hearing or sight or joints, things just start not working the way they used to. Now, what's fascinating to me about the psalm that we're going to study today, Psalm 66, is this psalm features God through the psalmist who is writing it, calling people to speak louder to God. Now, it's interesting because it's not like God ages. God doesn't have a hearing problem. God is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God always hears us when we speak. So why in the world is he writing through this psalmist telling us to speak louder? We're going to find out here today what God wants from people as they're speaking. Why God, who always hears, who has no problem with hearing, why God says, we need you to shout here. That's what Father, Son, and Spirit, our triune God, are calling us to. Now, grab Psalm 66 for a second. I hope you have a Bible with you. Grab Psalm 66. We're going to study it here for a few minutes. The first thing that we are going to learn in Psalm 66 is how this is actually beautiful poetry that the psalmist is using to work out the major message. People should speak louder. He's using this imagery as he begins by saying, all people should speak louder. He's, he's getting broad at the beginning. And then he goes, God's people. He narrows it down a little bit here. God's people should speak louder. And then finally, he personalizes it. This is all about him, but it's, it's really about each and every one of us individually. We should speak louder. And he's doing all of that, all people, God's people, each individual, every person. He's doing that to accentuate the fact that we all need to speak louder when we are talking to our God. He begins very broadly, all people. 
all people are to worship God for his great power and awesome deeds. All people should bow down before God because of who he is and what he does. God is amazing, and he deserves all of creation to bow before him in worship. The first challenge from the psalmist here is for God's enemies. Okay, He wants to enlighten us and also them. He wants the people working against God to see that they can't defeat him. In fact, what he wants us all to see is God's enemies are no match for him. And this is all because of his great power. God's great power means his enemies are no match for him. This is how it reads in verse 1 of Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. He says, all the earth here. This is broad. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. God's great power means his enemies are no match for him. This is the first call of the psalmist. God can do amazing things. God can do mighty deeds. God is all-powerful. And that means no matter who you are, no matter how badly, strongly, regularly you fight against God, you are no match for Him. Just a few minutes, we'll find out a little more about the Exodus story in which some of God's enemies found out they were no match for Him. But in our day, I think it's really easy to think about some of the people who are God's enemies. And at times, it seems like they are winning, doesn't it? Just one example is there are atheist activists in our country, and they file lawsuits all the time trying to get God out of the public square. They really want God to be gone from everywhere. They don't want him in the dialogue they don't want people in any way even reflecting on God. And so they file lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit, and many of them lose, but some of them win. Little by little, you get to a point where if you are in any place that is public, it seems as though the subject of God is off limits. These people are enemies of God, and they see themselves that way. I'm, I'm not disparaging them. I'm not taking them out of context. I'm not giving them a label that they wouldn't give themselves. They see themselves as enemies of the very idea of God. And the psalmist says, they are no match for him. This is a good reminder for all of us because we can get really upset and disappointed and, and maybe even angry. We can despair thinking that they're just going to get victory after victory. And as time goes along, who knows what they'll be able to accomplish. The psalmist says, no, even God's enemies come cringing to him. They're no match. All of creation should worship God because of his awesome deeds, because of his great power. And it is so unbelievable that even his enemies come cringing to him. Now, we've talked about one group of enemies, but uh, certainly it seems as though there is not this situation that the psalmist is calling for here in which everyone is praising him. I mean, there are enemies. There were back in ancient Israel. There are today. So 
What is he talking about? That all of the earth should shout for joy to the Lord. That these enemies come cringing to him. These people, these activists that I just talked about, they do not come cringing to God. But what God has revealed to us is that there will come a time, not when everyone will be saved, not when everyone will be following Jesus, but when even those who don't follow Jesus will at least have to acknowledge who he is. Our church just got done studying the book of Philippians, and it's in Philippians chapter 2 where we see this beautiful picture of who Jesus is and why he is worthy of praise. It's a a great passage. Read Philippians 2, not right now, but read Philippians 2 later on today and focus in on this passage. In verse 9 it says, Because of all Christ has done, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The psalmist says, all the earth, all of creation should praise the Lord. Everyone should worship him. And we say, that's not happening what is revealed later to the Apostle Paul, and this is God speaking to us, a reminder, an encouragement that yeah, not everyone's going to follow Jesus. Not everyone is going to honor him as Lord in their hearts, but there will come a time when everyone, even his most bitter enemies, will have no choice but to acknowledge he is Lord, he is King. And in that sense, all of creation will bow down to him. God's enemies are no match for him. That's one reason that all of creation should worship the Lord. But there is another, and it's that Exodus story that I mentioned a few minutes ago. The Exodus story involves ancient Israel in slavery in Egypt. And they were rescued out of that slavery after decade upon decade upon decade. Finally, miraculously, they are released from this slavery. They get to the Red Sea, and the Egyptian armies realize what has gone on, and the Pharaoh realizes he's losing his labor. And so these troops chase Israel, and they get to the Red Sea, and they wonder, what are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this? They feel like it's pointless, like they're just going to get dragged back off to be slaves again. But God miraculously parts the Red Sea so that ancient Israel can cross through on dry land, and then that sea closes over God's enemies, the enemies of Israel, those troops that were trying to drag them back to bondage. God's people are free. The Egyptian army is defeated. And what the psalmist tells us here in Psalm 66, which I think is fascinating, is that he's calling all of creation to worship God because this Exodus story is not just about ancient Israel. In fact, all people can benefit from the fact that he saved Israel. Anyone who wants to come to Jesus Christ, acknowledging their need for him, can do so because of what God did for ancient Israel. You see, Israel is saved. They head off into a desert where they live for a time before moving into the promised land. And, and there's so much more to Israel's history. But finally we see, that it was through those people who at once were slaves in Egypt that we get Jesus. 
And because we have Jesus, we can be free forevermore, free from our sin, free to truly worship God, free to bow before him in love and adoration. That Exodus story is one that Christians don't really focus on, I think as much as we probably should. Jewish people do. They celebrate it regularly. The Exodus is is really foundational to the Jewish faith, and yet Christians oftentimes treat the Exodus story like it's just one of the many wonderful stories in the Bible. It's sort of on par with all the others. I think what the psalmist is calling us to here is to celebrate the Exodus more to powerfully praise God and worship Him because of what He did for ancient Israel. Because it's not just about them, it is also about us. The psalmist says it this way in verse 5. Follow along with me. The psalmist calls all of creation, all people, to come and see what God has done. He is awesome in His deeds toward the children of man. That, that is awesome. All of us, all of us can play a part in this in the sense that God saved Israel, we get Jesus, and anyone who comes to him in faith can be forgiven by him and in relationship with him. This is for everyone. His awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. Then he recounts the Exodus story. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. A beautiful parallel there of what ancient Israel did and how they escaped Egypt. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. And let's pause there. God's actions for Israel are for. Everyone, all people can benefit from the fact that he saved Israel. The psalmist is very broadly calling all of creation, all of the world to acknowledge this, who God is and what he does because of the power of who God is and what he does. The Exodus story is so beautiful, not just because it's God working in one particular group of people, but because it is through that episode and so many more that we get Jesus. And so why should all of creation bow down? Why should everyone on planet Earth worship? Because God is mighty to save, and he accomplishes his good purposes, which means he saves us. He offers us that forgiveness and relationship, and it's open to anyone. I want to accentuate that before we move to our next point because I think there are some people, maybe even watching this, who doubt whether those actions for Israel in Exodus or anything else that is written about in the Bible are are actually about them. I think it's really easy to doubt whether God loves us, whether he can truly save us, whether he desires to have a relationship with us. There can be a whole bunch of reasons for this. It can be because of the things that we've done in our lives where we say, oh, there's no way that God could love us. It could be because of where we came from, how we grew up. We might have a bad self-image. We might doubt ourselves. And so because of that, we say, I don't love myself. Some other people around me don't love me. Maybe my parents didn't love me. Maybe my siblings didn't love me. So how in the world can God love me? The psalmist wants to remind us that 
all men and women. Everyone who comes to the Lord in humility, acknowledging their need for him, embracing the gospel message, that good news that says we are sinners in need of a Savior and Jesus is that Savior. If only we will repent of those sins, God forgives us. He restores us. He makes us a part of his family, a dearly loved daughter, a dearly loved son forevermore. And all people can have that. Everyone, including you. Don't doubt it for a second. The psalmist, as I mentioned, begins very broadly. All people should worship God for his great power and awesome deeds. And then he narrows it a little bit. He, he now talks just to God's people, our tribe. He says God's people should praise God for refining them. Now we get to some of the things God does in our life. God's people should be grateful that he uses the bad times. Each of us faces challenges. Ancient Israel certainly did. We've talked about the fact that they were in slavery in Egypt and had to be miraculously rescued. God does amazing things in his people, even in their most desperate moments. God refines us. The psalmist understood this. And so in verse 8, he begins talking about what God has done. This is really incredible here. He talks about the fact that God protected Israel through many trials. There were many situations that Israel was in, and God kept them safe each and every time. It wasn't just the Exodus. Time and time again, God protected them. He says, Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. Listen to this, this visual here. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. He begins by talking about God's protection. You've kept our soul among the living, and you've not let our feet slip. And then he moves to this testing, this refinement, being tried as silver is tried. God protected Israel through many trials, and he used those situations to refine them. Now, this is a bit challenging as we read this, because God does not always offer us protection in every situation. So we can't say, if you are one of God's people, nothing bad is going to happen to you. Uh, you're going to get everything that you want. There are prosperity teachers who will say that to you. That God will always offer you protection. God will always rescue you from every situation. God, if your faith is strong enough, will never let harmful things happen to you. And that, that's just not the fact. That's just not what the Bible says. He talks about, in this psalm, the fact that ancient Israel was protected so that God's work could be done in them. And that work is refinement being changed, being transformed. and That's why he moves from the protection to this refinement. The way that he uses it, the imagery that he uses is 
tested us. That's the words he uses. You, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. He used all of those challenging situations in Israel's life to make them more like Jesus. That's what refinement means. And he does the same thing for you, and he does the same thing for me. He takes all of those discouraging situations where we feel like nothing good is coming about as a result of this. He uses those for our benefit, and that benefit is each of us becoming more and more like Jesus. We see this in the book of Romans, chapter 8, beginning in verse 28. He says, For those who love God, this is what we know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good? Some situations don't seem very good. Losing a job doesn't seem very good. Fighting with a spouse doesn't seem very good. Getting a cancer diagnosis doesn't seem very good. Being in the middle of a pandemic doesn't seem very good. And yet God promises that all things are working together for good. So what is that good? A little further down in verse 29, we see that each of us, every follower of Jesus, is to be conformed to the image of his Son. We are to be made more like Jesus. That's Christian maturity. That's refinement. That's God using these difficult times to change us. And so no matter what it is that you're going through, no matter what it is that's hard, hurtful, scary, no matter what you would change, God's promise is not to do away with it, to get rid of it. I mean, the money problems may still be around for years. The health issues may never go away. That relationship that is broken may never be healed. God doesn't promise all of those things, but what he says is, as you deal with those situations, he is going to make you more like Jesus. He refines us. And so as we're dealing with those challenges, just like ancient Israel did, as we're dealing with those challenges, we may become more patient like Jesus. We may become more dependent upon God the Father like Jesus was when he was on the earth. We may have a better prayer life, a deeper prayer life, a more meaningful prayer life because of what God is putting us through. And we see Jesus time and time again when he was on the earth going away at night to pray for hours. Now, I'm just going to be honest. I'm a pastor, so I'm supposed to act like I have this prayer life in which 8 to 12 hours a day, all I do is sit in my study on my knees praying to God. It, it, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't, even for pastors. But this is a call for me to be more like Jesus, to say if Jesus needed to pray to the Father for times at hours and hours and hours, I mean, not every day, but sometimes, then, then maybe there's times I need that too. Maybe I need to spend time talking with him and, and laying my feelings and, and emotions and my hurts and my challenges, my fears, all of that on God. We'll talk about prayer a little bit more in just a moment. But what the psalmist is telling us here is, yes, all people should worship God for 
his great power and his awesome deeds. But God's people specifically should be praising him on a daily basis for the fact that no matter what the challenges are, it is not for nothing. They are not a waste. God is using them to make us more like Jesus. It may be faith-stretching. It may increase our trust. It may force us to rely on our brothers and sisters in the church more. It may make us long for heaven just like Jesus did. I mean, there's a variety of ways that we can be made more like Jesus, but whatever it is today that God is doing in your life, whatever situation you wish God would get rid of, you and I, we should look at these situations and say, Lord, how are you using it? How are you trying to make me more like Jesus in this situation? Is it trust, faith? Is it patience? Is it love? Is it kindness? What are you doing to make me more like Jesus? Because this is the call. All people worship God because he's amazing. God's people should be grateful even for those hard times because God is using them. The psalmist moves from all people to God's people. And finally, he digs a little deeper. He, he personalizes it. He starts talking about himself. I love how we see this language changing throughout the psalm. I think it's really beautiful. Now he personalizes it. Now this is about him. Now this is about his worship of the Lord, specifically his prayers. Every person should thank God for hearing their prayers. That's what the psalmist does. He expresses gratitude that when he called out, God was listening. There was never a time that God said, I can't hear you. God does not ignore his people. And he personalizes it. These are his prayers offered specifically to God. Now, what the psalmist does, we don't know what the situation is, but there was an issue where he was scared. He thought he wasn't going to survive. He thought the same for God's people. And so he made a vow to the Lord there. If you will save us, I will come to your house, to your tabernacle, to your temple, wherever it was that God was worshipped in this day. I will come there and I will pay homage to you. I will offer sacrifices to you. I will say thank you for hearing my prayer and keeping me safe. And that is exactly what he did. This is verse 13. He says, I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fatted animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. He's talking about all these sacrifices that he is going to make in God's house. He made a vow. God made good on that vow. And then when he got home safely, he said, my God saved me. My God listened to me. I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. What he's really saying in effect is God heard his prayers and he answered them. Now, another thing I don't want us to get out of here is that if we ask God for something, he is always going to answer in the way we want him to answer. God always hears our prayers. He always answers our prayers. But sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's not yet. Sometimes it's hold on a little while. 
God always hears our prayers. He always answers our prayers. But it is not always the answer that we want. God is not a genie in a bottle who has a responsibility to do exactly what we want. And I don't know about you, but I am so grateful for that. Because there are plenty of times I've asked God for things that have not come about and something so much better has. Or I've, I've seen how if I'd gotten what I wanted, it would have been really, really bad for me. God hears our prayers. He answers our prayers. Not always, though, in the way that we would like. What the psalmist is doing is calling us to celebrate the fact that God hears our prayers, He acts on our prayers, and we can count on it. I mean, we don't have vows in the way this guy did. He was writing this psalm. We don't come and sacrifice animals. We don't do that anymore. We don't, in situations, tell God, if you do this, I will make a sacrifice to you. No, it's not how it works. Instead, we talk to him. We tell him what's on our mind. We express what we desire, and then we ask him to do whatever his will is, whatever he knows is good for us, his people. And then we... As followers of Jesus, regardless of the outcome of the situation, should come before him thanking him. I think that's the equivalent of the sacrifices that the psalmist offered. We come before God in every situation and we say, thank you for hearing our prayers. No matter what the other side of the bad situation looks like, no matter what the outcome is, whether it goes the way we want it or not, God's people as individuals should come before him in prayer to say, thank you for hearing us. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for working all of this out for good. Have, have you done this lately? This is a challenge to me as I've been studying this psalm. Am I on a regular basis expressing gratitude to God for the ways that he has protected me, for the ways that he has answered prayer, for the fact that he has helped me to be humble in just following him. I mean, I've had to learn this gratitude over a period of years. I want you to know, and hopefully some of you have experienced this too, over years, where it takes time, little by little, we're refined, we're made more like Jesus, and, and then we get to the point where we can see that whatever God wants is best. And our prayers should be, Lord, give us wisdom to lead our lives. Help us to make good decisions. Help the outcome to be your good outcome. Don't do what I want. Instead, do what you want. And then God does it. He, he works it out. I won't get into any details, but years ago, there was a job that I really, really wanted. I mean, I really wanted this job, and I thought I was going to get it. And then when I didn't get it, I was really hurt. I can say I was crushed. I really was. And then God, over a period of months, gave me an even better situation, showed me why that particular job would have been really difficult for me. It, it, it might have been a job that I really disliked in the end. And he showed me how he was just working out this plan that I was kind of a spectator. I was following along as God worked all of this out. And what that showed me is to be grateful for God's sovereignty. For the fact that he hears me when I call, he answers my prayers, but that he is working out his good purposes in my life. And my job is to thank him for that and to yield to whatever he is doing. That's what the psalmist is doing here. God, you heard me 
You protected me, and now I'm honoring you. God, you heard my prayers. This is what you and I can say. You heard my prayers. You were with us in that very difficult situation. You got us through it one way or another. You made us more like Jesus. You're refining us. And so, Heavenly Father, we are grateful. We are worshipful toward you. Thank you for hearing our prayers. This is what the psalmist is getting at. God hears. God listens. God wants to refine each and every one of us. God wants to do this. And one of the ways that we can honor him is by coming to him in prayer saying, thank you for what you are doing. This is a challenge to all of us. Are we expressing gratitude to God? Are we feeling gratitude to God? Or do we, as I've done in times in my life, I want to make sure you don't think that I'm perfect at any of this, at times do we kind of pout when we don't get what we want? Are we frustrated at the way God brings us out of that situation? That's not what I wanted, Lord. I think instead we should be grateful that he loves us, he is powerful, and he is able to do whatever he wants in our lives and in the world around us. And we are many times like spectators. God hears the prayers of his people, and we should praise him for that. Now, one of the reminders that the psalmist gives us, I think this is important for all of us, one of the reminders that the psalmist gives us about God hearing our prayers is God does this in the psalmist's life because he loved God more than sin. Sin can keep us from fellowship with God. And the psalmist knew that God heard his prayers because he was all about the Lord. He trusted in the Lord. He was working for the Lord and his purposes. And that's why the psalmist could confidently say, Lord, you led me out of this situation. You were there for me. It was because he loved God more than sin. He says it this way. He invites people in. Hey, come, come in here. Uh, come and listen to what God has done. This is verse 16. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he's not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. I love the fact, by the way, that, that the psalmist goes out and he says, Hey, hey, come everybody. Come and hear. Everyone who fears God. All of God's people. Hey, church, come. Listen to what God has done in my life. Let me tell you what he has done for my soul. The, the reason this stands out to me, I'll get to the rest of my point in just a moment, but the reason why this stands out to me is because I do question how often we do what the psalmist is doing here. Hey, everybody, come. Listen to what God has done. I want you to hear me on this. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, come on, let me tell you. How often do we talk with others about what God has done in our lives? How often are we excited about that? When a new restaurant opens and I have a good meal... When I go to a movie, remember when we used to be able to go to movies? 
Man, I get excited about it if it's any good. A comedy, a drama, an action movie, whatever. And I can't wait to tell people about the awesome restaurant or the great movie. Oh, you got to try it. It was wonderful. You need to see this. You need to taste this. But when it comes to my God who saved me, so often I make excuses. Oh, it'll be awkward. Oh, they'll stop talking with me. Oh, the relationship will be messed up. I won't have the right words. Instead of being excited and inviting people in, hey, hey, listen to what God has done for me and telling them he's done it for you too in Jesus. We so often, unlike the psalmist, will not invite people into the story. Do we do, do, we do that? I mean, we do, right? Oh, this is an encouragement to us to invite people to see what God is doing in our lives so that he can work in their lives as well, to invite them into God's family. And he's excited about it. He wants everyone to hear. He wants to tell people the story, especially God's people. And he talks in verse 18, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Sin can keep us from this wonderful relationship with God. It can Sin in our lives creates a barrier between God and us. It's a barrier that will sometimes keep us from approaching God because we're so ashamed. You know, we know, hey, if I'm going to pray to God, I'm going to have to talk about what I've been doing. And so we won't spend time with him either in prayer or in his word. We won't be a part of church because we just don't even want to deal with that. That's one way that sin breaks our fellowship with God, our relationship with Jesus. It's not that we lose our salvation or something. It's somehow we're out of God's family, like God kicks us out. No, that's not it. We can have a relationship with God in which we are distant and avoiding him. That's one of the ways that sin keeps us from God. And the other way is when we approach God and try to act like nothing's wrong, that relationship isn't quite what it's supposed to be. God is not going to ignore the sin in our lives. We can't come to God if we're someone perhaps choosing a college or trying to figure out a major, someone who's thinking about whether or not we should be married and who we should be married to, thinking about this job offer and whether or not we should take it, or praying for answers in a job search in a very difficult environment. We can't come to God with all of those questions looking for wisdom and advice and direction and expect him just to hand it out to us if we are just dishonoring him with sin in our lives time and time and time again. Now hear me, I'm not saying we all have to be perfect people. Only Jesus is perfect. What I'm saying is if there is this sin habit in our lives in which Unlike the psalmist, we are cherishing that sin more than God. We love that sinful passion more than we love the Lord. If we are clinging to that, we are unable to take it and sort of stick it off to the side, stand in front of it, expecting God not to see it or hoping he's just willing to ignore it. It's not the way it works. The relationship is messed up because God loves you and me too much to let us ignore that sin. He's not going to do it. And so the psalmist is challenging us, this is the Lord speaking through him, to say, don't love your sin more than you love God. Love him more than anything. It's a call for each of us 
to examine our lives and to ask the Holy Spirit to help us with this. What sin do I love? What am I hanging on to? What am I refusing to let go of? What, if I'm totally honest, is an idol in my life that I am worshiping that is in my world more than God, even though it's really not? And idols can be anything. Idols can be girlfriends or boyfriends. Idols can be children. Idols can be money or cars or houses or clothing. Idols can be food. It can be desserts, specifically. Idols can be anything. Anything that we love more than God. Anything we turn to for comfort instead of God. Whatever we turn to in those difficult times other than God, that is an idol and We may not bow down in worship to it, but we're still worshiping. And God, speaking through the psalmist, says, don't do it. Don't love that sin more than me, the Lord. Instead, love him only. Now, we see the drumbeat that the psalmist is doing here. All people worship God for his great power and awesome deeds. He begins broad. And then he speaks specifically to God's people. God's people should praise him for refining them. And then he narrows it down a little bit. Individuals, each of us, should be grateful to God for hearing our prayers. We should be thankful and we should express that to him. This drumbeat, this poetry, is really designed to sort of, really, I think, ram it into our heads. All people, God's people, individuals, every single person should Worship the Lord and praise the Lord for who He is and what He's done. For His great power and His awesome deeds. For the things He does in our lives each and every day. All of us should speak louder in worshiping the Lord. Every single one of us. Now, in moments, we're going to sing another song here together. And it is my prayer that not in our own power not in our own strength, not because we're willing it. I'm hoping that the Lord, the Holy Spirit himself, does something in our hearts right now that allows us to sing loudly to the Lord, truly worshiping him, truly praising him, truly expressing our thanks to him. We, we need to have grateful hearts here, and only God can give them to us. And my prayer right now as we get ready to sing this final song, is that we would speak louder to him with more passion, with more energy, with more love, with more gratitude. My great-grandfather, Theodore Schwartz, he would have to say, speak louder, I can't hear you. God the Father instead says, speak louder, I can hear you. And he wants to hear from each and every one of us.